0: sequel Cast 2 is part of the batman podcast network for more information go to batman-on-film.com our brother was
1: not killed by wolves we were blinded by jealousy and sold him into slavery for 20 years we have lived with that guilt we can't go back without the boy after the credits roll
0: Academy six This is sequel cast, And they are runs past that following a franchise
1: until the better This is sequel
0: cast, And your host asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel cast to a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt bradley Shergi. with me is William Thrasher. Hello, everybody. And this time around, we are looking at a direct-to-video sequel to uh, Prince of Egypt, uh, Joseph, King of Dreams. Um, I was talking to some people about this, and uh, including the guy we tried to get on as a guest, we just couldn't make it work out. And uh, was, I was a bit surprised. A lot of people didn't know this, this movie existed. And well, it really came in under the radar. I think mm-hmm. the only
1: reason I knew about it is I was... Uh, I think this was right before uh, I uh, ended up going to college, and an ad for this video would play on one of our local stations in uh, in uh, Norfolk, Virginia.
0: Oh, a radio ad. Okay, huh.
1: Oh, no, no, it was a TV station.
0: Oh, TV station. Interesting. Yeah, I don't remember any commercials for this. I, I did work at, at video stores around this time, and recall it not renting especially well, but uh, also I... Um, it was at the uh, target the other day and they had a a dvd of um you know they do those those compilations of older movies a lot of times and this was a dreamworks animation and you had road to el dorado oh um, yeah not not prince of egypt because if it was i might have picked that up but it was um oh some other 2d um animated thing they did it was the was uh, that the sinbad
1: movie the sinbad
0: yes um sinbad and joseph king of dreams two theatrical and a direct video and so it's still you know out there in print um and in reading some uh the making of stuff on this it's uh there was something they had planned from the beginning while this was developed concurrently with prince of egypt more or less but apparently a rough cut of this was so bad they had to rework major portions of it
1: well, you know, it does It does feel like a movie that had bigger ambitions, and but then got scaled down. But it still, it still has, like, it still has an impressive cast. I mean, Ben Affleck and Mark Hamill in the same movie, you don't expect that.
0: Well, yes, and then the, um, I think the songs are less successful, and we'll get into that later.
1: Oh, we will. I've got feelings.
0: Uh-huh. And uh, I remember when, uh, you know, last time around, we, uh, sorry, listeners, it's been a few weeks, we've... Uh, been sick on vacation all sorts of things but now we're back in business um, and it sure so, feels grand because mm-hmm, you know better than I uh-huh. um, <laughs> it, it we mentioned Prince of Egypt you know it was a good job of taking a, a, a biblical Old Testament story and and making it not feel like a overtly sort of cheesy religious film and I think Joseph King of dreams fails in that regard it, it doesn't um, hmm. but it also the, the tale of Joseph is is a more is not as epic and if you're going to do a sequel to... I mean, this is actually a prequel, technically. But uh, if you're going to follow up Prince of Edith, why not follow it up with the rest of Moses' life and do the Ten Commandments story? The yeah, I think... Babel and all that stuff. I,
1: I think that would have been a much more uh, successful way to take this series.
0: Yeah. Um, it's just this seems like, you know, random Bible stories. And, you know, had this done well, maybe we would have gotten that. I don't know. Or maybe the plan was just to do one and that's it. But it's... um. I will say, though, they do keep a continuity with the, how the characters look. Yeah,
1: they do. There's a there's a very similar sense of design between both films, and that is to this movie's benefit.
0: Yep. Um, so the first time I watched this was watching this for the show. Have you seen this one before?
1: Uh, same here. Aside from the clips that I saw on that old TV commercial uh, back in 2000, the first time I saw this was, uh, was two weeks ago when I watched it in preparation for this episode.
0: Great. Um... So with this movie, I, um, you know, overall, it is the, the story, one of the better known stories of the Bible, uh, Joseph, about Joseph, and, uh, you know, I mean, think the most famous uh, pop culture interpretation of this is the Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat.
1: Yes, which this, this movie, I think, does a decent job separating itself from that more famous production.
0: It does, but it kind of suffers because that I just kept on thinking about that the whole time I was watching this, and it was, it's difficult to beat Andrew Lloyd Webber music or you know his catchy melodies. You're thinking about, oh, I'd rather listen to that than the music that's in this. Um, what well, is was, funny because
1: that is that is a that is a, a a musical that really could stand to have an animated adaptation. And I remember around the, I think it might have been the year before uh, Joseph and the King of Dreams came out. And who knows? This may have prevented an animated uh, adaptation from being done. But there was a direct-to-video uh, adaptation of Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, starring Donny Osmond. That was huh. it was sort of a somewhat more style. It looked like they had taken a stage production yeah, yeah. and filmed it in a bit more stylized fashion. But that was something that I also saw a lot of a lot of local ads for, uh, and you'd sometimes see playing in the local blockbuster. <laughs>
0: Right, no, that makes sense. Um, I mean, I also think of what other uh, religious themes sort of direct-to-video stuff around this time. I mean, you, had, you had things like Bible Man, you had Veggie Tales, right? Those would be so, the two big ones, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this was like a huge, the direct-to-video, uh, you know, made for the uh, Christian market was, was huge. And I should just say Christian, I could you could also say Jewish market because it's Old Testament stories in this case. Um, but yeah, it, it was a big thing. Certainly, they were they were tapping into that. Um, I, I did find it interesting, even though this was direct to video. This had a, uh, you know, some some tie-in products from a uh, a faith-based publisher, like you know, little kid retellings of the, the tiny little picture books, and they had oh. like sort of a read-along version. Oh yeah. And, and this is a story about. Joseph, who had a lot of brothers, and uh, he's... The son of Jacob. The son of Jacob, and he is the the miracle child, to quote a song title from this. uh,
1: Yeah, let's dive into that song, because that...
0: Yeah, it was, was, okay, yeah was let's start forward, from the beginning. Yeah,
1: go. I was looking forward to this movie, and that song immediately turned me against this movie.
0: And it immediately hits you within the first, like, minute you're hit with the song, which, if it's a good song, like Deliver Us and Prince of Egypt or something, or, well, the, or, or something like with the uh, Circle of Life and Lion King, something that oh, hits yeah. you in the gut, that's the sort of epic, slower thing, and you're introducing a setting, fine. But Miracle Child, you don't know anything about these people going into this if you know nothing about the, the Bible story. And, um... Oh, it's... It has two strikes against it. Yes. One, it
1: sounds like a first draft. Like, they got the melody perfect, but the lyrics sound like first draft lyrics. And two, the first half of the song, overall, I think, kind of works because it's all Jacob singing about his aspirations for this child he never thought he'd have. Right. But the second half of the song is the child Joseph singing the song and these are things no one should ever sing about themselves it makes him sound like a complete asshole who's just so full of himself and arrogant and yet he doesn't have any of those character traits so like it makes him immediately unlikable
0: well i kind of like that it made Joseph look like an asshole because it gives you you kind of side with it does such a good job of making Joseph look like an asshole that you kind of side with the brothers but I don't jealous. think
1: you're supposed to. No, I
0: guess not. But yeah, it's it, and you know to, to give context to the listeners, Jacob is, is a an old man who has lots of children, and uh, he didn't he he wanted one more, and he finally had Joseph, the you know miracle child. But it's about you know who he
1: begat he, upon his wife Rachel.
0: Uh, yes, and that's uh, and you know the, and the lyrics are gentle, and he's saying like, oh, your your life will uh, will have no worries. You'll uh, you'll succeed at every thing, you know, everyone will love you and blah blah blah, you know, you'll be talented be strong, up. you'll be wise. And and he uh, he drinks the Kool-Aid, right? And, and we see it transition to him getting old, um or, well, and, or Joseph's and getting older and, and saying I am the miracle child, I can do anything. Ha, 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 ha. But he doesn't go aha ah, ha ha No.
1: Like he he tries consistently throughout this first act to reach out to, connect with and help his brothers. He's nothing but an overall decent guy throughout this first act. His brothers are just jealous, resentful assholes. Although that being said, I think it does kind of, it, it, it is it is shameful that Jacob puts so much effort into Joseph to the detriment of the rest of his family.
0: Right, and perhaps he's not, Jacob's not aware that he's doing such a thing, Um and, and it also threw me off that you see on the, uh, the credits and, and the box, the, the voice of Ben Affleck, voice of Mark Campbell. And um, the singing, and this is the case in some musicals, we hear it's really noticeable. Uh, David Campbell, who's an Australian artist, a lovely voice, um, does the singing voice of Joseph. Sounds nothing like Ben Affleck. Yeah. To the point where yeah. it's super distracting. Um, I wish he
1: had kept his accent, though. I'm a miracle child. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Oi, I'm a miracle child. Now oh, time but... to have some shrimp on the barbie and some cider.
1: So, the animation starting out isn't all that bad. No, but... I mean, it's, some of the character movements yeah. are a little stiff. But I do love the care they take on uh, on Joseph's coat. He has this wonderful, brightly colored uh, coat with all these wonderful symbols of the sun, sheaves of wheat, uh, fishes. There's there's lots of archetypal imagery on that coat, and a lot of care is taken to animate it. It's not quite on par with um, with the flying carpet in Aladdin. But you can tell they're doing the best. They're, they're 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 exceeding the expectations that I had with the resources that were available to this production team.
0: Right, and they probably were able to use a lot of the the tech they developed for Prince of Egypt, uh, doing this uh, combining you know the CG, of uh, the cloak with uh, the the two D draw animation. Um, and I I do like how the cloak is multicolored. It is not a rainbow coat. And there's the this TV... neat metallic
1: shimmer that sometimes yes. gets on it.
0: Cause if you go back to the original text in the Bible, it, it just says multicolored coat, it does not say rain, it's been interpreted as rainbow, but that doesn't mean it is a rainbow. Um, so I think that's nice, and also you know, some of the imagery of like the wheat we see later in the dreams. And, um, speaking of the dreams, I think especially the first, uh, the whole thing is called King of Dreams because Joseph has this, um I was going to say power. I don't know if that's quite well, the right phrase, but well, he's, he has,
1: he's a he's a prophet. He he has been prophet, gifted by yeah. God with the ability to have and interpret prophetic dreams.
0: Yes, and he can interpret dreams, and he has a a dream uh, early on, and uh, it has um, it looks like Vincent Van Gogh in the background. Like it's really beautiful how. Very impressionistic, how they have the dream sequence,
1: oh yeah, they make every they make everything in the dream sequence look like a unique oil painting brushstroke. and that is that is something that is is often lost in an animated film when the film is supposed to be grounded in some level of reality and something fantastic happens. very often the fa- the fantasy element doesn't have enough of an impact. And when, mm. I say, when I say fantasy element, I don't say that to, to denigrate any religious subtext in the film, but just as far as storytelling goes. Um, but here, there, there is, a, there is a, a very firm line. The scenes that take place in Joseph's reality are, are drawn and animated in a very particular way. And every time we see a prophetic dream, uh, everything gets heightened in a way that clearly makes it distinct from waking reality.
0: Well, I like how each dream looks a little bit different too. Well, that's the cool thing because they're they're
1: not always Joseph dreams. Uh, Joseph is often interpreting other, interpreting interpreting other people's dreams, uh, and that's one th- And that's one thing I noticed. And we'll talk about later when we get to some of his interpretations in Egypt. But when Joseph has a dream, it's always pretty literal. But when someone else has a dream, it's it's, the imagery is so arcane, but then Joseph's interpretation is always really straightforward and based on numerology.
0: Yes, yes. Um, and let, let's talk a little bit about some of the, the voice acting here, and then we'll move on with the story. Uh, cool. You have Ben Affleck in the lead as Joseph, who I think is not great. I think he's just okay.
1: He... He gets better, at, as the character progresses through the film, sure. I think he gets it. I think the problem is early on in the film, he is he's trying to make Joseph sound as young as he's supposed to be within the story, but the further the movie comes along, as Joseph becomes more experienced and more world-weary, more of Ben Affleck's natural voice comes forward, and that's when, that's when he really syncs up with the role.
0: Yeah, I was really impressed with that Mark Hamill is the voice of one of his brothers, Judah, because he really dials it down, it doesn't sound much like Mark Hamill unless you know what to listen for. Well,
1: well they, they're clearly going for sort of a very n- more naturalistic style, yes. so it strips away a lot of Mark Hamill's voice acting flourishes, but as a result, it allows him to act, and it really does remind you he is a much better actor than he ever gets credit for.
0: That's true. Um, as far as the, the other, I mean, those are the made celebrity voices. I guess like in smaller parts, you have um, Stephen Weber. Is one of the brothers, um, who I couldn't really recognize. You got uh, Richard Heard. Yeah, smaller parts. You have uh, Dan Castellaneta and Renee
1: Bourgeaud, who I loved hearing their voices. Like I, I Renee like Dan Castellaneta. He's he is probably he, he and Billy West are probably as close as the current generation of voice actors have come to a new Mel Blanc. Sure, um, but I am so thrilled whenever I hear Rene Bourgeonwa in something. He has such an amazing career. Star Trek, Shelley Duvall's Fairy Tale Theater, Disney's The Little Mermaid, and he has such a distinct voice. It just I just I get a smile whenever I hear him.
0: Well, and then he was also on uh, Boston Legal for several seasons, and yeah, he just oh, yeah. such a. Great large career, and I, I I love him in Little Mermaid, doing in that small part, doing the song La Poisson, of the, doing the voice of the crazy chef. Oh yeah! Trying to Chop up uh, the um, Sebastian the crab. God, I haven't seen that in forever. Um, and so here with this um, this story, I think part of what makes this strange in regards to Prince of Egypt, is not about Moses, but also like this is a much more. Insular, much more gentle, not an epic story that we're, we're going across, right? It just is a story focusing on one man. It it's true, his actions do affect a lot, as we see at the end. Oh, yeah. But it's more of a, a journey of self-discovery.
1: Which I think, which I actually, like, I, I like, because, like, with, with, with Prince of Egypt, uh, we know that, like, from the beginning of the movie... We know not just because we know the story, but we just because of all the context, we know that Moses is destined for something great. He has this whole life laid out in front of him. Joseph is given room to breathe and make real choices in this film. You know, it's it's this is this is much more one of those God works in mysterious ways sort of pre planned lives, as opposed to being being told in person that you have a destiny.
0: Yes. um, You know, speaking of songs, there's another terrible song. I I like some of the songs to this, to be fair. But there's a horrendous song done by um, Joseph's mother called Bloom, Oh, wh- yeah! I I completely forgot that. Song. Bloom, bloom, you must bloom, and it's and the part of it is like the melody is, is not catchy, but also the lyrics are very similar to Miracle Child, which is saying like there's great things destined for you, and it's like yeah, we got that already.
1: Well, it's also it's also a it's a pep talk Joseph doesn't need exactly. It, it would it would be it would be much better is if that was Joseph's song and it was the I Wish song. It's about how he wants to bloom and he wants to flourish and he wants to both live up to the great expectations Jacob has for him, but to also live up to his own expectations and to be, you know, to the unconditional love that he has for his family, he wants to know that he has that unconditional love in return, but we, we don't get that. Giving the song to the mother regrettably was a mistake.
0: Right, and... um so but he doesn't. Mentioned... Oh,
1: but his his dream. So he has a, he has a dream where because they're, he, they're mm. among other things, his family are shepherds in addition to tenders of the land, and he has a prophetic dream where wolves kill uh, one of the rams, and it, it that happens exactly as he dreamed it, uh, and this is and things. This is when things start moving forward for the sudden but inevitable betrayal of his brothers.
0: Right, and his. Um... His brothers, you know, they talk about, you know, they they have this, as a group, this building resentment towards their brother, and their plan is to um, toss him in a well. Yeah, which, like, you...
1: Well, and this is one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, because, uh, that, yeah, they... Well, is it a, is it a, a well, or do they... Or do, it's it's just a like a canyon. A, a canyon, a pit. yeah. But, yeah, and... And what's really fascinating is that it really does feel like a prank that goes too far starting mm, out. Mm-hmm. So you can totally believe Joseph keeps expecting that his brothers are going to come back and help him get out of the pit. Only when that happens, it turns out his brothers have sold him into slavery.
0: Yeah, they just had to make a bit of scratch on it. And also, I mean, it's important to note as they they throw him in the pit, they, they rip up his beloved coat. Um, which is a big thing. And yeah, he goes into slavery. At this point, we get another musical number that's I think sounds the most like something from Prince of Egypt. Well, it sounds Market like Place. something
1: straight out of Prince of Egypt, but it's also much more successful because as he's brought into uh, the kingdom of Egypt, there's this great song. What is it called? Like, You Belong to Egypt or You Are Egypt's Now?
0: Um, so, are you thinking of the one that just sort of, it's establishing Egypt? Oh, yeah, the Marketplace song. That's what it's called. It's just called yeah, the Marketplace. Yeah, Marketplace, where it's a... Da, 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 da. Yeah, it, it just talks about... And, and it, it gets the, the scope of um, him being taken to uh, a big city in Egypt. But they also do they
1: do make it look like a much more impressive uh, alien empire. Because one one of the more subtle things they do is... The, so the first act of this movie everything is very natural, there are very few straight lines, it's all natural curves of the land, the curve of the wheat, the, the curve of the fabric on the tent flaps. The moment we enter Egypt, it is all hard lines and right angles.
0: Which is exactly what they did in Prince of Egypt, to, to good effect, and that it makes the Egyptians look different from the Hebrews. Mm. You can look at them and tell exactly where they're from. It's um, a good choice, and Joseph is a uh, Selected for the uh, for the pharaoh to sort of you know just sort of clean things up. Initially.
1: Well, no, he's 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 bought by he's bought by a Pot- Potiphar Pot- who's like an Egyptian Potiphar, magistrate, yeah. sure. uh, and he and effectively like he just he's just he's just this like house slave. His job is is cleaning stuff up, tending the house, being a general assistant. But one of the things um, that I did it's again this is uh, right out of the story, but you know Joseph. Joseph is well-educated. He has sort of keen senses, and he ends up becoming sort of much more of an ally to Potiphar to the point where there's a great scene where Potiphar is thinking of buying a horse, uh, and there's these scales used to weigh the money for the purchase, and Joseph notices that the scale is rigged, and that's kind of how that's how he... he he goes from, I guess that's when he goes to becoming an executive slave. Cause from that point forward, he's given <laughs> fine clothes and he's given very important, very prestigious work to do in Potiphar's household.
0: Right. And we get a musical number during this, this sort of montage of him doing work. And it, it's not what, you know, Joseph wants to do, but he does a good job of it. It is called whatever roads at your feet. I think this one's a little bit more successful. Um, if a bit preachy, and he, it just shows him, as you said, rising to the ranks to be an executive of sorts. An, an
1: executive slave. <laughs> but this is when, um, so, the, but then, uh, Potiphar does have a wife, uh, Zuleika, and this, this is one of the characters, and this is, this comes from a weakness of the source material, but she's pretty much your stock, biblical female character, because her only job within the narrative is just to serve as a temptation for Joseph. She, she wants to cheat on her husband and wants to have an affair with Joseph and that's pretty much all she does in the narrative is that and then betray Joseph later
0: yeah um, and this and this is more uh, I, I did um listen to an audiobook of this part of the the Bible which I'm not especially familiar with the Bible in general and in the uh in the source material this is more uh explicit I'll say and more of a it goes more into detail, but here I think they 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 soften a bit what's happening.
1: I mean, it's it's yeah, it's, it's, cl- it's clear it's what's happening. Film, yeah, but it, it but is. It's mostly subtext, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess this is I see I see this as a lost opportunity because Zuleika could still fulfill those story beats within the narrative, but they could have they could have taken some care to give her some more of the. Well, give her give her more agency and more character, like they've done with so many of the other the other people in this in this movie.
0: Right, like maybe have her not be impressed by Joseph at first, but then grow to to like him, and then that gets to be too much. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's things you can do to develop that character, but it's very more of a plot device than a character as presented here
1: but when when she flat out comes on to Joseph and Joseph spurns her advances, she then uh, she then lies uh, and claims that Joseph uh, forced himself upon her. And this is this is an, this is like a, a another another sort of subtext thing because clearly, she has told her husband that Joseph tried tried to rape her, yep. uh, but they, they never use that word. They never, like, that. you never hear what the accusations are. We just see Potiphar's fury, um, and then, you know, he strips Joseph of his fine clothes and throws him in a dungeon.
0: I wish they would have said what it was. I don't know. I think it, because of that, it feels like he's being punished for, for nothing. You, you don't get the sense of... I don't know I
1: think I think it's clear uh yeah. what what Potiphar thinks has happened. Uh now it's entirely possible if you're too young in the audience you might not get that but mm-hmm. I I'm not I'm really not sure how to reveal that in a way that would be that would be There's really there's no there is no all ages family friendly version of an uh, of a false accusation of sexual assault in a biblical story.
0: That's that's true, and I I, I guess you know I, I was thinking oh I could read I could try to redub the scene, it, it change it really. like, but yeah I mean it, it you're right it it'll be a bit too dark I think for what they're they're going for, but this uh, this part where Joseph is imprisoned you don't get a sense of of how much time it is, but it's quite some time because he grows a beard and grows a, a tree.
1: Yeah, like he he he. It feels like he has to have been in there for like over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, um, uh, and but this he, is when Rene Bourgeois is, uh, is introduced uh, and, and there are these two other people who are in the dungeon with him and they, they're always getting into these arguments because they have these perplexing dreams and Joseph interprets those dreams and this, this is when we get into that whole sort of more literal interpretation because their dreams involve like specific numbers of specific animals and he goes oh well the three camels in your dream represent three days and in three days is when you're going to die and in yours, the three cows represent three days, and at the end of the third day, you will be forgiven, and you will get, you will get a job in Pharaoh's household. Uh, and of course, exactly that happens.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and before all this, where he's sort of you know, by himself and uh, having a, a hard time in, uh, in solitary in there, he, you get what, what is sort of the hit number from this uh, movie, Better Than I,
1: yeah, that's, that's
0: a very I,
1: satisfying, I guess, is the best word I can come up with for that song.
0: But when I heard it, I also, and, and the lyrics are, it is, I, I think it's clear it's referring to God, although much like in Prince of Egypt, you don't say the word God really, right? Well, not not often. No, not explicitly. And um, when I heard this, I said, I'm like, oh, I can totally hear this being in a contemporary Christian concert. And indeed, if you look on YouTube, this has been covered a lot by people. Cool. And um, in fact, recently, David Campbell, who does the uh, the songs for Joseph in the film, uh, released an an album that features him performing this song again on it. So clearly it, it means something to, to him. And it, yeah, it's a good song. Uh, it, again, it's sort of similar to... The thematic content of the previous one whatever roads at your feet and that you you have to um make the best of what circumstances you're in even though he's in a terrible terrible circumstance by any stretch of the imagination and also much like prince of egypt you have a scene where a character ends up having a beard by the end (laughs) of the musical number
1: yeah, but then uh, eventually um, so because that because of the slave that got a job in Pharaoh's household word has come to the Pharaoh that there is a slave that can interpret dreams so Joseph is freed and brought to and again brought brought to the Pharaoh to interpret the uh, to interpret a, a, a perplexing dream that he's been having that none of his priests can interpret and this is when we get another one of those really well animated dream sequences because um, all the dream imagery the you know the Pharaohs describing certain numbers of cows eating things and like wheat withering Uh, and this is another really well animated uh, sequence and one of the things I love is that the cows are so stylized they're not rendered as cows they are rendered as these sort of very harsh predatory looking bovine uh, like chess pieces
0: yeah these huge chess piece pillar things and it's uh, again as you said you know Very creative and i like how it you know had all the dream sequences in this movie looked exactly the same it it could have been a bit dull but because they keep on switching up how they look and some have a lot of cg and some don't it it just uh makes the it more interesting because frankly the content of the dreams is pretty rote and as you mentioned you know it's kind of it gets more literal as it goes along well well one thing about this, I think
1: there should be a third dream sequence in this film.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean in they, a way that, with, by the stuff, time you get to this dream sequence it's like Joseph can do math. Like it's Joseph's math lessons in a dream. Like it's just so
1: <laughs> But that but that's uh. the whole the the whole the nature of the dream is that the the cows that the first set of cows represent like seven years of plenty, and Egypt's gonna, everyone's gonna have a full belly, everything's gonna be great. But then the second set of cows represent the worst famine slash drought Egypt has ever seen, uh, and hundreds of people are gonna die. The empire could be brought to the brink of collapse. And and the pharaoh uh, Ramesses the first says, "Well, well, is there a way to prevent it?" And Joseph, you know, being very smart, says, "Well, it's very simple. Take the extra grain from the time of plenty, store it." And then, when the time of famine comes, everyone will still be able to eat because you'll have all these grain warehouses. Um, and the pharaoh is so impressed by Joseph's wisdom that he makes Joseph he makes Joseph like his official advisor and in charge of the grain collecting project. And there's something that I like about this scene is that the symbol of office that Joseph is given is the same ring that Moses is given when he becomes chief architect.
0: Oh, I didn't notice that. That's a good catch.
1: It's, it's really subtle. They don't linger on it, but he is given the exact same scarab ring.
0: Right. Um we also get a a musical number that I find really cheesy more than you take.
1: Yeah, it's th- this song is kind of exactly what you'd expect. It's very it's very literal to what's going on. Um, now the, so the song's kind of lackluster but the animation's neat is we see the grain silos being built which all look like giant canoptic jars and have these big pharaoh heads on top um, and there's also actually a bit of foreshadowing because during the Miracle Child song Joseph does this thing where when his family's trying to e- trying to water the wheat he like digs a little trench from the well out into the field and just yes. you know, the natural flow of water does all his work for him and here we see him do the same thing writ large as he creates this massive irrigated wheat field for Egypt that is drawing uh, water off of the Nile uh, so it's it's overall like what, visually what we're seeing is very cool because so much of it has been foreshadowed you uh, mentioned that,
0: you wish there was more like dream sequences I wish there would have been also more scenes with, um, with his brothers because they're such a big part of the beginning of the story and then by the time they come back at the end of the story you almost have forgotten about them
1: Hmm. Yeah, you know that is that is kind of true. I, I forgot because I even knew this story uh, sure. from like Sunday school when I was a kid, and I forgot that they come back. But um, and oh, and in the middle of all of this, uh, uh, Joseph is uh, Joseph marries uh, Asenath, this uh, Egyptian woman, and they start a family of their own.
0: Yep, and uh, and so we get to the time of famine where they're doling out the grain that they have saved. And uh, and who comes into town? But Joseph's brothers, and uh, as you suspect, he might. He starts freaking out a bit. And and what's interesting? And
1: so, and what's interesting is that his brothers, of course, don't recognize him. So that uh, <laughs> yes, Joseph, and this is this is where this film really rides a a dangerous razor's edge. Because we talked about in the beginning how the Miracle Child song starts to make Joseph seem like an ass. And at this point, Joseph has proven his wisdom and his temperance time and time again. And he takes advantage of the fact that his brothers don't recognize him to sort of run his brothers through this sort of psychological gauntlet. And I think the intent is that Joseph is supposed to he's supposed to be subtly testing them and displaying this kind of Solomon-like practical wisdom. But the way it he it's played and this is in part due to Ben Affleck's voice acting, Joseph now sounds like the sounds like a dick. He sounds like the character I was afraid he was going to be at the beginning of the movie.
0: I mean, he's really just fucking with them as opposed to, yes, trying to to, to test as you put it, yeah, 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 give them a lesson, right? have him go through a morality scenario. And
1: but, you know, they talk about how they need how they need grain, and, and he talks about, well, don't you have another brother? And uh, he's like, oh, we do. Well, then show me this brother. <laughs> and they do come back with, with uh, a, a, a younger brother, uh, and it's not, and of course, it's not him. Uh, and I, th- I think, like, if, at first they make it seem like Joseph like, doesn't, thinks this is just some kid from the street, but it turns out mm. it's not. Like, it actually is a younger brother. Uh, looks like there was a second Miracle Child that did not get <laughs> yeah, nearly right. as much attention that, as And that, that does sort
0: of undercut the whole Miracle Child stuff at the beginning. Um, well, but no, isn't that like your family, though? Your parents
1: get, your parents get lazier and crazier the more kids they have?
0: Yeah, certainly the younger kids tend to get away with more than the, the older kids. <laughs> that's for sure. And, um, but, but anyway, in all of yeah. it, you know,
1: Joseph does reveal it. so itself like I know you betrayed your brother and sold him into slavery. But you know, Joseph does re- does reveal himself, but then he ends up he ends up forgiving his family and he invites them to come he invites them all to come uh to, to live with him in the palace in Egypt.
0: Right. Which is and kind
1: what? of complicated. And this is this is one of those things that I don't quite find like satisfying, only because it's kind of like knowing the the broader sense of the story because as I recall, at least within this movie, they never like they never say Joseph has stopped being a slave. Like he's not f- he's never freed. He just has a specific job in Pharaoh's court. Presumably he's still owned by somebody. And it's also like, well, they're Hebrews, like we know what happens in Prince of Egypt within a, within a generation or two, his whole yes. family are going to be slaves of the pharaoh as well. That's right. Yeah, that's a good
0: point. Um, so, so there's
1: like, so what is supposed to be a very happy, very beautiful ending is is undercut by the fact that we know we know what else happens in the book of Genesis and Exodus.
0: Not just that, but you know they they have them spend the night and uh, they all have their bags of grain and they set and he sets up one of the brothers to make it look like they've stolen things. Oh yeah! Again, another another, another dick, dick move. move. And, but I, I do think here you get some of Mark Hamill's, uh, has more meat to chew on here, where he just talks about, really about redemption, where when they came back they were so uh, ashamed of, of what they had done that they were going to make sure you know, such a thing never happened. It made them super, super protective of the new younger brother they had.
1: Yeah it, it really does like he really does sell it. You do believe mm-hmm. that he is that he is so ashamed of his behavior and he is so desperate for for forgiveness or absolution.
0: And for a while, I mean, he was, Joseph has been such a dick. I thought he was going to sentence all his brothers to death or something, but that does not happen.
1: <laughs> but I mean, but at that point though, the whole thing just wraps up in a nice tight little package.
0: Yes uh a bit too i think once the brothers show up again at the end i think it kind of barrels through the story much too quickly
1: yeah you know you could you could have played out i think you know maybe that's what the movie needs maybe there should have been more breathing room for joseph's sort of psychological game and then you really could have made it feel like a test rather than than joseph just being petty
0: and you could also have some moments for light comedy, where maybe one of the brothers thinks he recognizes Joseph, and Joseph has to try and play it off and talk in a deeper voice or something.
1: Actually, I could totally go for some farce uh, to lighten yeah. this up. Yeah. Like,
0: is uh, you know, you look a little bit like my brother Joseph. Joseph, is is that you? No, 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 it's not. I'll, I'll, That's a silly name. Him? I don't
1: have that name.
0: Oh. In fact, I despise the name Joseph. Who would name a kid Joseph? Certainly not someone that wanted a miracle child. <laughs> Yeah. If,
1: if a Joseph showed up, well, I'd probably put him to death. Bury him alive in a grain silo. Okay, that's too grim and dark. And,
0: and, and I'd uh, and I'd dip his uh, multicolored coat in goat blood. Not that I know anything of such circumstances, of course. I just, just like.
1: he sounds like the type of jerk who would have a multicolored
0: coat. <laughs> yeah, he just really take it to the overly specific where he, he thinks he's doing a good <laughs> job hiding in or not. Also, I... I Neglected to mention, as far as the voice cast goes, uh, Azenoth, which is not a, a huge part, who uh, becomes Joseph's wife, is voiced by Jodie Benson, who is best known as voicing the uh, Little Mermaid in the Disney cartoon.
1: And and you can tell there is something of that in her voice, though she is playing a much more adult character. Uh, so something that I thought was really cool is that the character um, of uh, Isakar, who's one of the traitors who tries to cheat uh, Potiphar. He's played by Jess Hartnell, who is the voice of, uh, of uh, Wacko Warner in Animaniacs.
0: <laughs> That's right I've heard that name before. You know, I actually saw... I, I should have walked over and, and shook his hand or something and said hello, but I did see him at a uh, convention I went to last year. Cool. And it, it made me kind of sad, because his, his price for his signature was much lower than other people. But... I guess that's usually the case with, uh, you know, voiceover artist. And but oh. just Harnell has just done so much work over the years. Whether it's the voice of Crash Bandicoot or, uh, you know, Ducktales or all that stuff.
1: Okay, so convention anecdote. I was recently at the Tidewater Comic Con, and they had you know their row of of celebrity guests. Gates McFadden was there. Uh, the original Black Power Ranger was there. Uh, really, a really cool lineup. But one of the people there was Matt Ryan, the actor who plays Constantine in the uh, in the Belantiverse uh, CW DC comic shows, and. Uh, everybody had a really cool banner uh, at their table that I guess the the convention had printed out for them because it had the convention's logo on it. It had these cool headshots for them, except Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan just had a large sheet of cardboard with the name Matt Ryan scribbled on it in uh, in Sharpie, and it looked so out of, it looked so out of place. I couldn't tell if it was deliberate or not, or if someone had dropped the ball.
0: Well, this is a question, I mean, yeah, Are if, let's say, I am a famous actor and I go to a convention, and, well, I mean, whatever, you do this, you've had tables at conventions, right? You have to provide your own banners and so forth, right?
1: Uh, if, if you are a vendor, uh, most of the time, yes. There are a handful of conventions with enough size and resources where you can, when you get a vendor's table, you can ha- get them to like print out like special display pieces for you. Now, this is rare, though. It's certainly not the industry standard.
0: So, but I think you're right with the, the dropping the ball with the crayon. That's just uh, pretty funny. It reminds oh, me of, of a convention story really quick. Of um, This would have been in 2002, I think, right after Attack of the Clones came out. It went to Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia. No, it was 2001, so right before oh, yeah. Attack of the Clones. And, uh, you know, just two years after Phantom Menace, and one of the guys that had his own table was um, the actor that... Uh, did Darth Maul at Ray Park. And nobody came to his table. Nobody. Uh. And, and and he had a big banner that showed him, oh, I was Toad and X-Men. And and I think because especially right before Attack of the Clones, like this is when internet hatred for like Phantom Menace was at an all time high. Uh. And I it, it sort of was like, man, and, and he just looked like depressed and like he didn't want to be there. And I didn't blame him. It was just like, jeez.
1: I I am really glad that the Darth Maul character was brought back and given some really great stories in uh, the Clone Wars.
0: Yes. Um, also, you know, the, there's been so much talk of uh, with Disney doing all these Star Wars spinoff movies of them doing an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, and um, there's been some rumors they might incorporate some of that Clone Wars material If they did a movie, have, you know, Darth Maul come back with those robot spider legs.
1: Huh. That would be interesting.
0: Could be interesting. Certainly an iconic character. I think they killed off way too quickly. Um, But yeah, so let's do pitch a sequel, which is hard to do when this movie is all... These movies are standalone Bible stories. How would you follow up Joseph, King of Dreams?
1: All right, so Joseph, the King of Dreams, was so conventional, I I don't say conventional but like everything is so grounded aside from the dreams, there's so little room for fantasy, there's so little room for action it's almost like a chamber play so I want, if I was going to do a sequel to this, I would want to go to another, I want to do a more action oriented excuse me, a more action oriented uh, story from the book of Genesis, so I say we're going to do I say we're going to do uh, the story of Samson uh, mm. The uh, the Abrahamic Hercules, uh, a guy blessed by God with superhuman strength, who defeats like a whole was it is it a Persian army, a Palestinian army? He's involved in a lot of action set pieces, which yes, are going to yes. be which are going to be really fun to animate. Uh, this is going to be a high flying, swashbuckling adventure with some with some good songs. But I do, um, and I guess this is where I'm torn because I don't know. Like, I guess you want to end it by giving Samson some sort of triumph. It's just that his triumph is so grim where he's tied to the pillars of the Temple of Dagon in Babylonia. And he's been blinded uh, and he gets his strength one last time to collapse, to collapse the temple, killing himself and everyone inside of it. There, I don't know if there's a way like you, you would really have to work hard to make the Babylonians look evil to make that seem justified. <laughs> So I don't, know, I don't know exactly how I'm going to smooth out the ending, but I would want to do an animated musical of the story of Samson. And, I, what, and yes. I want to make Delilah less of a biblical female stereotype. I want to make her much more of a real character with her own agency. She'll still do everything that the story requires, but it will be a natural outgrowth of her character. She will have agency. If I
0: was to do it, I would you would call call it Jonah Meal of Whales. (laughs) And it would be the story of of Jonah um, rejecting God and being swallowed by the whale. Oh, so you would do a reluctant prophet. Yes. It it would focus more on his reluctance and uh, really kick up those parts of the story. And when the whale comes, it it would make it more uh, more like a a horror film, you know, more... um, Kind of, I'm thinking of how the whale is in Pinocchio, more, uh, more more, scary. It would not be a cute whale.
1: Huh. Cool. Well, actually, would you straight up do a whale, or would you take advantage of the fact that the Bible doesn't use the term whale, it uses the term Leviathan?
0: I would, um... I would make it uh, shape-shifting. So it changed between different forms, and its final form is a whale. All right, so uh, with the Joseph and the Amazing... Uh, not shit. <laughs> hey, with the Joseph, <laughs> King of Dreams, would you give this a sequel yes or a sequel no? I was underwhelmed by this movie.
1: However, I would still like to see what else they could do if they tried to give a prestigious animated adaptation musical treatment to another Bible story. So I I am going to give it a a hopeful sequel yes. Not that I think we're ever going to get another movie in the series, but I still I still think it was worthy. I had a good enough time with Prince of Egypt. I would love to see I would love to see this rounded out into a trilogy.
0: I would um I think i get give this a sequel, no. I think it's a, a letdown from Prince of Egypt. It's not unwatchable, but it's just on the the side of, especially like the, some of the opening songs in this are just a, a bit of a drag and it, it the story, I think, gets better and the music gets better as it goes on, but there's just not quite enough uh, me for uh, recommend this one. <laughs> so now we're gonna move on to Whatcha Watchin'. Thrasher, what have you been watching?
1: Well, so as we mentioned, it's been it's been a while since we've had uh, the regular recording, and I was gonna try to record uh, an audio commentary uh, just to give us you know some more content. It's also it's, I love doing those, and it had been a while so. Uh, to tie in with the theme of Prince of Egypt, I found DreamWorks's other big animated release from 1998, uh, which was the movie Ants, uh, Ants uh, spelled with a Z, starring Woody uh, Allen, yeah. Dan Aykroyd, Anne Bancroft, Jane Curtin, Danny Glover, Gene Hackman, Jennifer Lopez, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Stallone Christopher yeah. Walken, Sharon Stone, every damn person. Um and the short the short version is is about halfway through recording the audio commentary. I realized I had nothing else to say, and I didn't like the movie.
0: <laughs> okay, I uh, I have not seen it since it was um, in theaters, and uh, I you know the only funny story I have about ants is uh, one of my uncles and, and all of his kids, uh, my cousins were. Um, they went to see that in the theater, and they really liked it. And so, uh, a Woody Allen movie—oh, uh, I think it's um, the one where he uh, does a cookie store as a front to rob a bank or something. Oh, was it Small Time Crooks?
1: Was that the one that John Lovitz is in?
0: Yeah, John Lovitz. Uh, time yeah, I think it's Small Time Crooks or something. So you know, they liked Woody Allen and ants the cartoon so much, they decided to see the Woody Allen's next film in the theater, which was Small Time Crooks, oh, and they wow. hated it. But I mean, you know, if you go by Woody Allen by his performance in a cartoon, you um, deserve whatever is coming to you because (laughs) that's not what Woody Allen mostly is like. Um, In fact, I think Ants is like, you know, possibly the most mainstream thing he's done. And I'm a bit surprised that they got him to do it, really.
1: Yeah, every everyone in this movie, with the exception of Danny Glover, who seems to be pretty much... Oh, and Christopher Walken, who both seem to be pretty much game for anything. I look at this cast and I wonder, how the hell did they get them? And and I guess that's the thing about this movie, is that the, this movie, this movie is bad not because it's a shitty movie. This movie is bad because it has lots of really good ambitions, and then it fails to execute every single ambitious idea that it has.
0: And then, Did you described before the move, uh, the movie as being charmingly ugly. Did you still find that to be the case? N- um, yes, until the moment
1: the characters move. The ah. moment they move, they just look like these ghoulish puppets. Um, the The animation was hor- The animation was horrible. The character designs look so grotesque. The only thing that I felt straight up looked looked good was Christopher Walken's character and the flies that show up uh, in the third act of the movie and a mantis which is there's a praying mantis but it's only used as a jump scare and, mm-hmm. and which is so so disappointing because and one like, thing it, that, that should have been a set that should have been the beginning of a set piece but it's not it's just a jump scare
0: Well, and one thing about ants i think people have forgotten is um this was developed at the same time as Pixar's movie A Bug Life, and in fact, Ants beat A Bug's Life to theaters by about a month. Not that it made much of a
1: difference.
0: It still made a good chunk of money. It didn't make A Bug's Life money. Well, I mean, but it didn't did lose there was,
1: money. You, if you, like, regardless, there's several budget estimates, but it made, bare minimum, it made just over double its money back.
0: Yes, which when you count marketing isn't as impressive as it sounds. And um, there is public feuding in the, the papers between uh, DreamWorks and Pixar about you should be ashamed and not rip us off and blah, blah, blah. Well, apparently
1: this, the movie had, because I was really trying to figure out, like, some I did a whole bunch of pre-search for the commentary, and apparently it had been in development. Katzenberg had had this movie in development going all the way back to when he was at Disney. And anyway, it was a project that he took with him when Dreamworks was founded. Um, and like knowing how long this movie was in development, some choices make a lot of sense cuz one thing that's sort of accidentally interesting about the movie is like re- looking at it, like I feel like the subtext this is someone who this movie was envisioned by somebody who grew up in the Vietnam era and is trying to work out some Vietnam related angst in the modern day. Hmm. However, the way all that is, the way all all of it is portrayed, the movie seems very prescient to the second Gulf War, which unfortunately okay. doesn't make me like it any better. Right, like in like in, in the cause of tr- being a metaphor for one thing, ended up making it a metaphor for something uh, like a better metaphor for something else. But it still only feels fills me with bad feelings and makes me more frustrated at this film. The thing that really jumped out at me, though, as I was digging around, because I had remembered that a shockingly long time after this movie was made, there was a video game adaptation. So I guess the franchise has legs, but I did some, some looking at it. There are four Ants video games.
0: That sounds like a lot.
1: Yeah, there's Ants based on the movie. There's Ants Racing, Ants World Sports, and Ants Extreme Racing, Ants Extreme Racing came out in two thousand two. So this infamous box office flop. There was still content being produced for this franchise up to two thousand two. Odd. Yeah, it it is. It is truly bizarre. Uh, But anyway, uh, this commentary will probably never be heard. Because I don't, I don't want to make anyone feel like they've got to sit through this movie. And as I said, I realized halfway through, I don't like this movie. Uh, and I ran out of things to say about it.
0: Sure, and that never makes for I mean, you hear professional commentaries on DVDs where there's like huge gaps of silence. Uh, oh, so, this I mean, is uh, a good scene. Right. Or, uh, ah, yes, this is the scene where uh, she looks fantastic. She takes the top off. Oh, and the other thing
1: that was crazy is, like, yeah. I totally forgot... And then yet, this makes so much sense, knowing that Woody Allen's in the movie. The the, the, it, the movie ends with this zoom out, and you find out that the ant colony is in Central Park in New York. So this is still a New York movie.
0: Right. Um, so I, I went to the theater to see a movie. I saw Deadpool 2. Oh, so did I. Ah. And uh, so I, I don't want to spoil it, but I I liked it. You know, I think it has... The story in the first one was pretty minimalist, and this has a bit more going on, a bit more characters. I'm not really that familiar with um, X-Force or that sort of a thing, but there's uh, some good uh, plot twists in there, and it has a very good uh, sort of James Bond-style uh, credit sequence oh, yeah the original song by Celine Dion that also has a very good music video. Um that yeah, they, I bet they will get nominated a, for an Oscar.
1: They took advantage of having more money in this movie.
0: Yes, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of cameos, um, a lot of post-credit ending sequences,
1: <laughs> which which were rather amusing. That was some. So this whole movie, a lot of it feels like dessert to me. But then that's the dessert yes. of the dessert. That's the cherry on top. The way the 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 post-credit or the mid-credit sequences that they did.
0: What's well, nice to have a comedic superhero where the jokes land, and I mean this. When watching it, it just came to mind. It really feels like you're watching a bad magazine uh, spoof come to life with all the character breaking stuff. And uh, I mean, if you thought Deadpool was annoying in the first one, um, <laughs> this movie won't change your mind.
1: Oh yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say the same thing. This, is, this isn't gonna win Deadpool any. I don't, I can't imagine anyone coming to this movie. Not already having some affection for the character, and then walking away with affection.
0: I um, I have to say, I actually think Josh Brolin as Cable did a better job than he did as um, Thanos. Well, that's in Avengers. That's
1: something that I did not expect, and I guess that's the real. If anything is truly great about this movie, it's this. This movie takes some of Marvel Comics' worst characters and makes them work and makes them entertaining for the duration of the movie. This is the first time in my life I've given a damn about Cable. He's just like he's in the comics; he is eternally underwhelming.
0: Now, in the comics, was he meant to be like a Terminator ripoff? Effectively, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Straight up, I mean that. Like what what you see in this movie is is pretty accurate. He's a cybernetic mutant from the future who is always traveling back in time to kill somebody to fix something in the future. Also, and I'm shocked this never came up. But he's also supposed to be the child of Cyclops and Jean Grey. Oh,
0: I didn't know that. Hmm.
1: I'm shocked there wasn't a line about that in the movie.
0: I, oh, was, the, the uh, I, don't, things... I don't. I'm not going to spoil it, but I was very surprised when they reveal. There, there's a character that's in a cage. There's a returning that, character. Yes. Yes, and I was very surprised when I saw um, who it was, and, and pleased. Well, you know, it's funny because, like, watching watching the movie, I'm like, oh, when when the
1: whole idea of the guy, the big guy in the cage, is brought up, I was like, well, it can only be. There's only two people. This could probably be, and one of my two guesses was right. My other guess was another over-the-top Rob Liefeld character that would look really goofy on screen. And I thought they might do just for the joke of having the goofy-looking guy. But uh, Zazay Beats as Domino is also really good. She's another Rob Liefeld co-created character that, in the comics, is just really boring and is everything is everything regrettable about Rob Liefeld-type characters, but she's really enjoyable and entertaining to watch in Deadpool 2. Well,
0: and I don't know what she's like in the, in the comics, but I just like that her power she, was luck. And I, I...
1: She's another her... ninja assassin uh, in the oh, comics. Oh, okay. I mean, she still has luck power, but like a lot of Rob Liefeld characters, she's either Ar- an Arnold Schwarzenegger character or a ninja. That's mainly what he creates.
0: Right, and with um, the power being luck... It, they, they even make jokes about, well, how do you even portray that? But it's, it, it's very funny. They have a very light touch with it. Yeah, it, it works. It really works. And uh, I also really liked um, Julian Dennison, this younger actor that plays this. Uh, I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, Deadpool 2 reminds me a bit of Terminator 2. And hmm. they have a lot of sort of father-son, quasi-father-son uh, paternal things going on. And uh, the, the little kid in this is good. and So yeah, I, I quite liked it. I, I came in with kind of mixed expectations because I, I enjoyed the first one. And uh, in this one, it feels, because they have more money, it feels more like, uh, I think, like the first one could have been. So much of the first one, I think, was constrained by the budget and that the whole movie was only like two big battle scenes and a big flashback. That this it's more of, I think, a story they're trying to tell, and I think it works. And I believe they, they're going to follow this up with an X-Force movie, and also we'll get a Deadpool 3, so who knows?
1: Yeah, yeah it's, it's inevitable that there's going to be a third Deadpool, I'm sure.
0: What what I want to see is a movie called Deadpool Origins Peter, but <laughs> I don't think we'll ever see that. Um, anything else you've been watching? Uh, let's see, a
1: few. let's see a few different things. Um, so remember a few episodes back, I talked about falling down a, a Paul Fusco wormhole? Yes. Paul, you know, Paul Fusco being the, the puppeteer who created the character of Alf. Well, I ended up falling in that, that uh, wormhole again, and I watched a 4th of July puppet show that he did, which is either from 1980 or 1982. I couldn't find a definite date on when it was released, but it's called Far Out 4th, um and much like much like the Valentine's Day that almost wasn't it's not good oh but but it's like it is it is like visually it's of higher quality the puppeteering and the acting is a little bit better this does have musical numbers but they're awful they don't even oh, sound geez. like a first draft they sound like a half draft
0: yeah
1: um and, but the other thing is it's really like mixing its metaphors like I will say this like if you're doing if you're going to do a, a special about the American holiday the 4th of July also known as Independence Day maybe you shouldn't have a scene at the climax of the story where all the protagonists cheer a king hmm. but it involves fireworks and alien abductions some of the alien puppets are pretty cool uh, and, and pretty well done. They have neat designs. There's this one puppet that has this weird zigzaggy mouth that just looks so fascinating. <laughs> it like it approaches Muppet level greatness with that design, but everything else is is uh, kind of flat.
0: Okay.
1: And the villain song is just embarrassing. <laughs> Ugh.
0: Were, were the puppet designs at least interesting or
1: uh, old. Uh... Some of the aliens is actually the King Alien, he's like almost Alf. Like if Alf was a giant frog, mm. uh that's what this the alien king looks like. Um So the, it's one of those things, like it's probably like I, I bet I bet if you're stoned, it's pretty entertaining in its goofiness. Um But you know that that being said, this is this this is the kind of thing that the the website everything is terrible was was made to chronicle
0: yeah well i'm glad you're glad that you checked it off your list or well sort of cuz i
1: this is another thing that i remember seeing when i was really really young although unlike the valentine's day that almost was it i don't remember anybody saying i don't remember my mom looking taking one look at it and going this is stupid Um, It was just some vague thing I remembered, and then when I saw that it was part of the Paul Fusco viewer, I thought, well, I might as well check it out since it was on a streaming service. Um, It is also, the video is much better preserved than the Valentine's Day that almost wasn't. Um, So I guess I look at it, it kind of gives me hope, because it's not good at all but uh, it paid to keep Fusco's career going, and then that gave us ALF. And ALF is still overall pretty enjoyable. Enjoyable to watch, not enjoyable to make. I've heard horror stories about how awful that show was to make. Hmm.
0: Cool. Um, I saw a documentary on Hulu called, uh, 78 slash 52 Hitchcock's Shower Scene. Huh. And it's called that because I think it's 78 seconds long with 52 cuts in it. And it is a in-depth frame by frame discussion of the shower scene from Psycho. Um, but they they do talk about Hitchcock's uh, career up to that point. They talk about the movie up to that point. The final scene of the documentary is the scene that immediately follows the shower scene in the movie. Huh. And what I thought was very interesting is, all the interviews are filmed in black and white, which I thought was a neat uh touch. Um, they talked to people like, uh, oh, Mick Garris, um, Hitchcock's granddaughter, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who is the you know daughter of Janet Lee. It was the, uh, they they talked to the the um, the nude double for Janet Lee. She's still alive. Huh, um, cool. And uh, some vintage interviews of people that are no longer with us. But yeah, it's and they they go into a bit of the 1998 Psycho movie and how they made the shower scene look. And uh, I I really liked it. I thought it was good. I mean, it it's certainly something you would see in a film school class. And if you have no interest in Psycho or Hitchcock, I think you might find it boring. But Uh, I enjoyed it. I think that the one thing that seems sort of strange is uh, one of the people they talk to is Elijah Wood, who I guess along, it's Elijah Wood and two of his friends who I think own a production company that does horror films. And their contributions to the movie are just to kind of like joke on it and be lighter and they have less of like a film scholar tone than everyone else does. And that takes away from it. On the other hand, you have really cool things like Guillermo del Toro, and they, they make a point of filming the interview subjects watching the scene. Huh. And so you get their reactions, and they're you know basically doing commentary on it at, at points. That is really cool. And what's really interesting is they go. Have you ever read the book Psycho? Regrettably, no. That's that's one. That's one
1: of the Robert Block uh, yes. books that I really really want to read.
0: And it, it, it's weird to read because anytime you're reading it, you're thinking about the movie, and it makes you wish you could read it without knowing anything about the movie. But the the shower scene is different. Do you mind if I spoil this? No, 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 go right ahead. Okay. It, it is different because, well, A, um, Norman Bates is described as an overweight, kind of like fat, fat nerd guy with glasses. But B, he, he takes a knife and cuts her head off in the shower. Hmm. And they take... His um, the description of that scene in the book, and then they refilm it in black and white for the documentary to show what that would look like as described. And then they even take the original shower scene and they recut it to how it reads in the original script. Huh. And and they go cool. into the fo- I mean, they get so specific. They go into the foley work of uh, how Hitchcock got his stabbing sounds.
1: Oh, I've got to see this. This sounds yeah. fascinating.
0: They go into the ur- They try to. Um, they manage to go into the urban legend, and you get to find out if it's true or not. If uh, Hershey syrup, Hershey syrup was used as blood in the scene. So yeah, lot of lot of inter- lot of meat to chew on. It's called seventy eight fifty two Hitchcock's shower scene. Uh, I thought, yeah, really, really well done. And it's nice to see a documentary about a movie where it's not um, where I, where it's a bit more serious. I've seen a lot of, of recent ones where it's a bit more comedic. You know, whether it's looking at grindhouse movies or whatever. In this one, it's it was a very uh, academic sort of approach, which I appreciated. Um, okay, well, you got anything you would like to plug? Uh, ju- well, just
1: that if you're going to be in uh, Columbus, Ohio uh, in June, I am going to be at the Origins Game Fair, not going to be doing any podcasting. I'm going to be running a number of gaming events with my group, Kettlefish Productions. Uh, let me just double check the uh, Origins uh, Game Fair Dates just you no know, in case anybody wants to intercept me there. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be June 13th through the 17th. Uh, so I will be all over that convention. Uh, so there's plenty of fun to be had there. Uh, that's uh, that is uh, I think the main thing that I want to plug.
0: Okay. Um, I will give a uh, plug to uh, Mark with a C. He does our theme song. He's recently been doing a podcast. Uh, that's. Uh, that's pretty good. I, I listened to it. It is a uh, part of the Consequence Podcast Network, and it is called Discography, in which he looks at an artist's uh, entire discography spread over several episodes. Um, and his, his first um, artist that he looked at that he recently wrapped up was Frank Zappa. Cool. And he did a, a sort of episode at the end where he interviewed some people talking about Frank Zappa and he got to talk to Weirdo Yankovic and he got to talk to Alex Winter who um, oh. is in the middle of doing a, a documentary on Frank Zappa
1: <laughs> That is really cool so have, it, you ever, have you ever seen that s- clip from the uh, TV show The Monkees where it's Frank, it's Mike Nesbitt interviewing Frank Zappa but Frank Zappa is playing Mike Nesbitt and Mike Nesbitt is playing Frank Zappa No it's really good. Like they, they, they each do. Apparently, they were like they were friends uh, at the time, but they each do like a dead-on impersonation of the other.
0: Cool. Yeah, the the monkeys have a lot. Um, I think were are not appreciated as much, underappreciated at the time, and uh, lately they've been getting some more love, which is always good. Um, all right. So um, next time on SequelCast Cast Two, we will be. Uh, you know, long ago we looked at Starship Troopers, and they recently came out with a direct-to-video starship troopers five uh it's a cartoon again it's called starship troopers Trader of mars and um among other thing what's what's different about this one is um Kasper van Deen came back to do the voice of um johnny rico johnny rico which was not the case in the last cartoon and also this is written by um oh i can't think of his name but he wrote the first three movies. So, I can't think. It's too early in the morning. By um, so, <laughs> will be looking... Traitor of Mars. Right, and then after that, we'll be looking at the uh, Flintstones live-action movies, Flintstones and Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas, which I've never seen the second one. So, I'm excited <laughs> about that. Um, You're in for something. Yeah. Um, actually, no, I saw a clip of Stephen Baldwin as Barney, and I was impressed. Um, well, all right. Yes. I, so... For sequel Cast Two, this is Matt. Oh, do you want to do our scene? Oh yes. I'm sorry. Yep. So we're gonna do our, as we've been doing, and as I keep on forgetting, we're gonna do a <laughs> dramatic uh, read of a scene. And this is why don't you lay the pipe for what the scene is? Alright. So this uh, this is the scene
1: where Potiphar first talks to Joseph about his uh, his presumed ability to interpret dreams. Would Would you mind if I played Potiphar? No. I will right. do
0: Joseph. So, I will start. Potiphar?
1: Pharaoh's butler says you interpret dreams. That is true, yes. Pharaoh is tortured by a dream. None of his wise men can explain it. I am to bring you to the palace.
0: Potiphar, it's, it's good to see you. Uh, how
1: could I have allowed this to happen? My wife. I I understand. Let's go. With that that weird pause there, it sounds like he's referring to Joseph as his wife. I, I, yes. I took every ounce of temptation No, no, resistance to temptation to not just do a turn that into a horrendous uh BeauraT uh impersonation.
0: How oh, could I allow this to happen? My wife, yeah. Um <laughs> I've been, one thing real quick, and I'll sign off, I, I listened to uh, listening to Howard Stern at work, and there there's, um, I don't know if you listen to Stern much, but there's been a guy, I guess for the past 20 years, he's been calling into the show, going by the name of Sour Shoes. Are you familiar uh-huh. with this? No, no, and, no. And he is kind of a, an idiot savant impressionist. His, his impersonations of, um, you can't impersonate Stern, but you can impersonate Hardy Lange, you can impersonate uh, Gary Bababooey. Um, you can impersonate Jackie the Joke Man, who hasn't been on the show for quite some time. But um, but it, it is so accurate, it's scary. And in fact, if you look on YouTube, there's a great clip of him imitating Artie Lange, calling into the Adam Carolla show, and he has Adam fooled for about six minutes.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: So... Um, I recommend that. But, uh, yeah, so I'm Matt. You can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Uh, this is uh, Thrasher. You can follow me on
1: Twitter at Internet Mayor.
0: Uh,
1: for the Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying... Store grain for the lean times. When duty calls, you
0: pay the price for the federation. I will give my life. duty, honor, he lies high above us Eagle, he makes our spirits soar give me the strength to carry on To fight and this war It's a good day to die When you know the reasons why As citizens, we fight for what is right Courage duty on a noble sacrifice when duty calls you pay the price for the federation i will give my life for some good day to die when you know the reasons why citizens we fight for what is right a noble sacrifice when duty calls you pay the price for the federation i will give my